Luke chapter 9, let's stand together please, and we're going to read verses 51 through 56. We're going to talk about James tonight. I pray the Lord will help me to communicate the truth of His Word this evening and encourage you and help you. Verse 51, it says, And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, meaning Jesus, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. So just so you understand the context a little bit, he's heading to Jerusalem. Most Jewish people would not go through Samaria. They would not do it because the Samaritans hated the Jews and the Jews hated them. And so they would take the long way around just to avoid each other. And so Jesus says, no, no, we're going to go through because he, he, he did that. He cared about all people. And so he sends his disciples ahead to kind of make provisions and to gather hospitality, which would have been their custom. Verse 53, and they did not receive him because his face was those who would go to Jerusalem. So they didn't, the Samaritans did not like Jesus, and they did not like the fact that he was going to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. Because there was a debate about whether he should be worshipped in Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim. Okay? In verse 54, And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias or Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. I want to focus, I know we could focus on James and John, but we focused on John last week and we focused on his growing balance. But I want to preach to you tonight about James, we're calling him the feisty one. And I want to preach about that a little bit tonight. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would help us this evening to learn uh, what you would teach us this word. And I, I, I pray that you would help us to have a passion, a zeal, a drive in some way similar to what James did. And I pray that you would help us to all temper it the way James learned to temper his, but I do pray that you would give us some passion, and I pray it would be born of the Holy Spirit and profitable that way. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Maybe see. appreciate you standing. I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. When I was a youth director in Missouri, that was the first church I served at in a small town in south-central Missouri, and we had a wonderful youth department. God really blessed us. We began to grow. And uh, it was very, very exciting. I think we, we got to where we averaged about 75 teenagers in Sunday school on a Sunday morning. It was just an exciting revivalistic time uh, there. And so uh, we had a lot of youth activities, and um, our youth department started saving up for a bus. We wanted to buy a bus just for our youth department because our church was like any normal independent Baptist church of that era. We had a bus ministry, and all of our buses were just... I mean, boy, you wouldn't want to take them hardly anywhere. Uh, they were standard shift, no power steering. I mean, 1960 Fords. I mean, it were just... And so we saved up to buy our own bus. And we bought a, a bus that had an air conditioning unit in it. That's what they really wanted. Man, we wanted an air conditioning bus, and we saved up and we bought one. Now, we made the mistake of buying one from, like, the Missouri Transit System, and so that air conditioner never really worked anyway, and so it was really frustrating. But we... Uh, we were going to paint this bus because it was a Missouri Transit System, so it was like this teal color. It was like this weird-looking color, and so we wanted to paint it. And so I got a bunch of guys in the church and some teenagers together. We started taping that bus, and we started sanding on that bus. And, and we were working on it. One of the teenagers in my youth department 
he said, they all called me Brother Michael. He said, Brother Michael, I got an idea. He said, uh, he said let's paint this bus. What, what, what color are we going to paint it? I said, like, I don't know what color you want to paint. He said, I got an idea. We've been talking. Well, anytime a 16-year-old says, we've been talking, that's, that's not a good sign, you know. And he said, here's what I think we ought to do with this bus. We ought to paint this bus black, paint it completely black. And he said, I want to paint flames on the front of the bus, like a, like a, a drag racing car, you know, flames on the front of the bus. And I was like, oh, really? He said, yeah, and then we could put down on the side of it, you know, our, our church name, and then we could put, we're on fire for God. That's what he said. So I said, well, that's not a bad idea. I went to the pastor. I said, hey, we want to paint this bus black and put flames on, put we're on fire for God. The pastor just looked at me and said, no. <laughs> he said, you do that, man, you're going to drive down the road in that thing. Everybody's going to think we're a charismatic church or something like that. You know, he's just absolutely not. Now, I appreciate that. I thought that was a funny story, and I appreciate that young man who had a zeal for the Lord, and, and I think zeal is a good and admirable quality to have. The heavenly fire of Christian zeal is really different than the strange fires of, of false zeal. I want you to think about zeal, and we'll define it in just a second, but I'm really talking about passion or enthusiasm. Uh, think about a cold-blooded animals take on the temperature of their environment. Uh, but warm-blooded animals, they strive to maintain a steady temperature all of the time. And zeal for the Christian, we ought to be like warm-blooded creatures. And in doing so, we regulate this passion that we have for the Lord. We, we by regulating a, a burning zeal and passion, we're resisting the, the lethargy of being cold-hearted. And, and we're also regulating that temperature so it doesn't turn into the fever of fanaticism either. We, we have a proper balance. The reason I'm saying all of this is as we look at James and his life, one thing that you can admire about James is his apparent zeal. You know, in the early church, there were three leaders with the name James. It was a popular name then, it's a popular name now in many ways, but there was James, the son of Alphaeus. He was an apostle in this group, but he was little known, was, uh, uh, there was little known about him. In fact, it's going to be a challenge when we try to get to some of those lesser known names like that. And we'll see how we do as we get to that. But James, the son of Alphaeus. There was also James, the half-brother of Jesus. And if you're not tracking me on that, the reason we call him the half-brother of Jesus is Jesus did not have an earthly father in Joseph, but James had the father Joseph and the same mother Mary, and so James was his half-brother. You would know about James because he is the author of the book in the New Testament. And James is a wonderful, practical book, five chapters long. If you haven't gotten familiar with the book of James, you sure should. He was a wonderful leader in the first century. He was really most believed the pastor or at least a leader in the church of Jerusalem and of course influential in that book that the Holy Spirit used him to pen and author. And there's this man that we're looking at tonight, James the son of Zebedee. He's the older brother of John. You'll see them together all the time. James and John, James and John, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And here he is again in this text that we read, uh, mentioned with his brother. Now, the focus of our study is really on James instead of John, so we're just going to kind of hone in on him a little bit. The only time that John, uh, James is mentioned by himself is in the book of Acts, where he is recorded as one of the early martyrs of the church. But if you notice anything about his life, one thing that you could say that characterized James, even though we know little about him, is that word passion, or I've used the word zeal. The title of the message tonight is The Feisty One. He, he was a feisty, go-getter kind of guy. 
From the little we know about him, it is obvious that he was a man of intense fervor. He would have been, you would have been around him a short period of time and you would have maybe needed a break from him because he was an intense person. He, in fact, Jesus gave James and his brother John a nickname in Mark chapter 3. Uh, gives uh, uh, the name Bonerges, and the idea there is it's, it's interpreted sons of thunder. And the reason that Jesus called him a son of thunder is because he was a zealous man. He was a thunderous person. He was very passionate and very fervent. In fact, this nickname seems to almost, as he called him a son of thunder, it's almost like he was kind of in a, in a playful way, kind of rebuking him a little bit. You know, kind of like, hey, hey, easy there, tiger. Uh, kind of like, hey, hey, you know, hey, cool it, Zippy. I mean, that's kind of what he, what he was saying to him when he called them the sons of thunder. And it kind of sounds like maybe he, he every once in a while would just, man, they would get fired up and he'd be like, there go the sons of thunder. And it was kind of his, his playful way to kind of rebuke them and kind of bring them down to where they needed to be. But as you study the life of James and what little we know about him, we can kind of see and understand that he moved from this worldly zeal, a man of passion himself, to what we would consider a godly passion. He, uh, You say, well, where did he get this godly passion? He got it the same place any of us are going to get this godly passion, and that's from spending time with Jesus. Richard Baxter, the Puritan author, said this, to love God without zeal is to not love him because it is not loving Him as God. In fact, we could say it in a biblical way. Do you remember on the road to Emmaus, those two men that walked with the resurrected Lord? Don't you love that verse in that chapter in Luke where he says, did not our heart burn within us as he, as he spoke the Word to us? I mean, man, when you get around Jesus, it makes a difference in your life. It creates a, a God-like passion in you the closer you get to Him and the more time you spend with Him. I want you to think about what we know about James and his time with Jesus. Remember, James was in that inner circle. You had Peter, James, and John. They were all in there. And so you understand that what Jesus did is He allowed James and John and Peter to be in certain situations and circumstances that other people weren't privy to. And so think about what we know about James. James was there when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Not everybody saw that, but James saw that. James was with Jesus when he raised Jairus' daughter. Not everybody saw that miracle. Jesus brought Peter, James, and John in there and, and, and shut the door. And James witnessed that with his own eyes. James was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, Jesus just took three people, Peter, James, and John, and went up there. And I know Peter kind of gets the credit because he opened his big mouth and he said, man, this is awesome. Let's just stay up here and build some tents and hang out right here. But James was there. He saw that with his own eyes. And he would have testified and said, hey, didn't our hearts burn within us? As we watched, I mean, as we heard him speak on the Mount of Olives, as we listened to the Sermon on the Mount, as we watched him do these miracles, didn't something burn inside of us just being around him? James was with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus said, Hey guys, come pray with me. My hour is at hand. It's the deepest, darkest moment of my human life. Come with me, pray with me. And they watched as sweat drops of blood rolled down his face. Listen, they saw all of that. And James was infused with passion because he had been with Jesus. James was the kind of person who could do nothing by halves. I mean, he was all in or nothing. 
And he would serve the Lord with a great enthusiasm. You say, how do you know that? Well, the very fact that he was martyred suggested that he was not a passive personality. Listen, I'm telling you something. If somebody wants to kill you because of your faith, you, you had to have been some kind of annoyance to them. He must have had some kind of style about him that stirred things up. And friend, when you stir things up, let me just tell you right now, you will make some enemies somewhere. We get a little glimpse in this text in which we read of why Jesus called him a son of thunder. I gave you the context. We kind of did the narration there a little bit as they're going through this village and they won't make hospitality for Jesus. Man, James gets fired up about that. I mean, Jesus was his guy. Jesus was Messiah. Jesus was the leader. And boy, if you're going to disrespect Jesus, boy, you disrespected James. And James looks at Jesus and he says, hey, hey, if you're not going to do anything, let us do something. Give us the ability like you gave Elijah to call fire down from heaven. We'll blow this whole village up. Don't you love his passion? I think it was a little misguided, and I'm glad the Lord tempered him a bit. But, but his solution was just to burn the whole village down. And that was, that was James. I want to give you tonight, as we're talking about this subject of zeal, I want to give you tonight three characteristics of zeal. What does this look like in our life? Let me just give you some help this evening. And, and it's my prayer that we'll walk out of here with a zeal of our own. Maybe we cannot match the zeal of James, but we can have some kind of zeal in our own life. Number one, zeal by nature is passionate. One of the complaints about modern Christians is that they're apathetic. You understand what I mean by when I say apathetic? That means showing or feeling no interest, no enthusiasm, no concern. Listen, I hear this from preachers all the time. So I just can't get people to do anything. I hear this from youth directors. Man, I'll tell you, I preach my guts out. They just stand there, uh, sit there and stare at you. And we can talk about people uh, dying and going to hell and then you hear the gospel and people don't get fired up and motivated about it. I, I think there's some genuine concern that modern Christians are apathetic. But I would say this. I think we need to clarify that a little bit. They're not apathetic in nature. They're just apathetic towards the things of God. You see, modern Christians are very passionate and they are very enthusiastic. For example, I, I spend most of my time around Christian people. And let me uh, just newsflash for you. Let me tell you, Christian people are very passionate about their sports. You know, on Sunday when I was preaching in the morning, I'm not saying you were checking out. I thought we had wonderful services on Sunday. But the biggest hubbub over the congregation came when I started talking about football. I don't mean that in a chiding way. I'm just simply saying that's of something that's of interest to you. I, I doubt very many of us, and I use that word us on purpose, sit in our homes and watch our games and go, huh. Boy, we're yelling at the refs screaming at the TV, we're, we're jumping up and down, we're high-fiving. Why? We're, we're passionate about our sports. In fact, when I was a pastor in North Carolina, the rivalry there is UNC and Duke. I remember one time UNC was playing Duke in basketball on a Sunday night, and I had a, a lady member singing in my choir that had earphones in her ear listening to the game while the choir was singing. Don't tell me teenagers are apathetic. Oh no, friend, you want to get them going? Talk about video games. Hey, don't tell me Christians are apathetic. 
man, hey, just get them talking about hunting and fishing. Man, I caught one and it was that big right there. Man, I, I'm telling you, I have a friend that took an entire week of vacation and named it after himself. He called it the week of Charles. He told his wife, I get three weeks vacation, one of them's for me. It's the week of Charles and I'm doing nothing but hunting. I'll see you later. And you can like that or lump it. I'm just saying he had a little bit of passion about what he was doing. We get, we get fired up about our wealth. Look, I, I've said this for years. You want to make somebody mad, mess with their money, or mess with their kids? Well, we get fired up about our, our wealth. We get fired up about our kids. Man, I, I'm telling you, just come down to a basketball game in our Christian school gym sometime and hear people yelling about their Shoot the ball, Junior! You know, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. We get fired up about achievement. The point is, I'm trying to make this, is everybody is passionate about something. Now, if you come in here and you sit like a bump on a log, and again, I don't think that we need to express our passion for the Lord the same way we express our, our passion for, for sports. I mean, I, I really would rather you not start the wave while I'm preaching. I mean, that's not necessarily uh, something that we need to do. And I don't need this row of guys right here to, you know, uh, paint amen on your bare chest and jump up. I mean, that's, we, we don't need to express that the same way. I, I get all of that. But I'm just telling you, if you have no passion, no burning zeal for the Lord, you, you have an apathy towards God, listen to me tonight, it is the result of being passionate about someone or something else. It's not that you're not passionate, it's that your passion is directed somewhere else. And so I'm telling you tonight, saved people should have a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. And there ought to be something burning in our breasts tonight that says, I want to be a better Christian than I am. I want to serve God more than I'm serving Him. I want to get stirred up about God in ways that I haven't got stirred up. Maybe some of you need to say, I, I, I want to go back and remember the days when I first got saved and it was all new and real and fresh to me. I want that again. And I see that in men like Paul in the Bible who said, oh, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Uh, he said, I want to know my Lord. In fact, Paul sometimes got frustrated in his own walk with God. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Why? Because he was passionate about something in his life. Friend, if you have no passion for the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, you do not have a desire in your heart to know Him and to make Him known, then you should at least examine yourself and see where you're at. Am I truly saved? Listen, you know I'm not going to try and tell you you're not saved if you are, but I'm also not going to try and tell you you are saved if you're not. I'll let the Holy Spirit do His ministry in your heart tonight. But I think every once in a while when our hearts are hard and cold and dead, then maybe we just need to say, hey, do I really know the Lord Jesus? And if I do, why is my heart cold? Maybe it's because I've not been near Him enough. A passionate faith is the ultimate hallmark of Christian leadership. But unfortunately, the part that lags in many of us as Christians is that passion part. We don't want to be viewed as being weird. We don't, we don't want to be viewed as strange or fanatical. But I'm telling you, these men, these 12 that we're talking about, these men that turned the world upside down, they were considered fanatics. They were considered extremists because they were passionate. See, if we're not careful especially leadership, it can make you weary. 
Sometimes, over time, passion is kind of like paint. It just fades over time. That's why every once in a while we need a new, a new coat put on. We need to make sure that we keep it up. It's really important that we make our passion fresh again. Zeal, by its very nature, is passion. And by the way, that's why I think we need to be in the house of God on a regular basis and then just be stirred up. I love what Paul, or Peter said about that. I want to stir you up by putting you in remembrance of these things. And I think about passion. May God give me more of it. Sometimes I, I don't know, you know people, everybody's got opinions. I heard one guy say, it's like armpits. Everybody's got them. Some of them stink, you know. Some people think, think you're, you're uh, you know, well, I don't think you ought to raise your voice like that. Maybe it seems silly to some, but that's why maybe the Bible calls it the foolishness of preaching. Again, man, I tell you what, if you can't get wound up about it, something's lacking, something's missing, something's not right. And I get it that people demonstrate it in different ways, but oh, may God, by very nature, give us zeal so that we would reflect passion in our life. Let me just say this, number two. Zeal when misdirected is problematic. Now, I understand, I like that quote, it's easier to restrain a zealot than it is to raise a corpse. I mean, I'd much rather be able to say to a church member, hey, let's just, let's just calm that down a little bit than to try and motivate everybody because it's a, it's a whole lot more difficult than that is. But I want you to notice in our text that Jesus did temper James's zeal. Notice that he, he corrected two things. One, he, he said that your motive is all wrong. Did you see what he said? You know not what manner of spirit you're of. He's kind of saying to them, you know what, buddy? you got a real tone of arrogance to you right there. Because basically what James and John were saying is you give us the ability to call fire down to heaven and we'll do what you're not willing to do. Well, that's quite an indictment there. And James, Jesus looks at James and says, you, you don't understand the attitude you've got right now. And a lot of times that's true in our lives, isn't it? We can't always see our own attitude. And Jesus kind of corrected their motivation there. You see, their motivation wasn't to be a blessing to these people. Their motivation wasn't to reconcile or correct bad behavior. Their, their, their motivation was to, to punish them, to ruin them. And Jesus said, man, that's a bad spirit right there. Then notice what he said, that your mission is wrong. And I love what he says. He says, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, he has come to save them. And this was a message that Jesus repeated over and over again, and it took the disciples a while to get this. And he'll say it again in that famous verse in Luke 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. John's going to pin something similar. He's going to say, for God sent His Son not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him should be saved. And Jesus is teaching them, hey, there's going to be a time where I come, I will judge the world. You can bank on that. I will at some point judge the world, but now is not that time. I've got a different mission. I've got a different mission. And so you see here that James had a little bit of a misdirected zeal. You see, a lack of passion certainly leads to complacency. And boy, that's a problem. But, but I want you to also understand that the wrong kind of passion can, can as, lead to problems as well. You know, again, sometimes zeal is less than righteous. Think about it tonight. Apart from knowledge, it can be damning. I mean, isn't that what the Bible says, that people had a zeal 
without knowledge and because they had a zeal. What did they have a zeal for? They had a zeal for, for the law. They had a zeal for their traditions. And, and, and as a result, being very passionate about those things, they were misguided in where they placed their faith and their trust, and that was damning to them. So, so again, the, the sincerity is not the issue for many of the world's religions. There are a lot of sincere people that believe a lot of false theology and ideas, and they are extremely sincere. In some, time, in some cases, more sincere than many Christians I know. But it's a damning zeal. Did you know that zeal without knowledge can be damning, but also zeal without wisdom can be very dangerous? Listen, when we first get saved, we ought to have this excitement. I mean, that's one of the hallmarks of seeing somebody get saved. One of the, one of the ways you really know somebody's gotten saved is they want to tell everybody they can. I mean, I mean they're, they're so excited. They want to share it with everybody. They, they, they're so excited about what's going on, and they're, they want to do something for the Lord. And I'll tell you what's sad is a lot of times Christians who've been saved for decades go, oh, we'll knock that out of you. Just settle down, bub. Don't worry, you'll get used to it after a while. Man, that's a shame when we do that kind of stuff. But the truth of the matter is, is I remember when I, when I was younger, and man, you, you, you think I've got some passion and drive now. Boy, you should have seen me when I was first pastor when I was 27 years old. Boy, I was, I was pulling on the chain all the time. But I had, I had a lot of zeal, and I didn't have a whole lot of knowledge. And as I grew in my knowledge, my zeal started going down a little bit. And we've got to constantly keep that balance and when you have a lot of wisdom with, uh, with, with uh, zeal without wisdom, that can be really dangerous. You know, the other day I was, uh, I was driving through Anderson, came through the intersection of Concord Road and Main Street, and, and I hope you understand what I'm about to say. I'm not trying to be unkind in any way. There's a fellow out there, and he had a, he had a sign, and he had a megaphone. He's yelling in that megaphone. And uh, I guess he was trying to preach the gospel. I think that's what he was trying to do anyway. And he's just in there, and you couldn't hear what he was saying. Just yelling in his megaphone. And, and, and his sign said something on it. I can't remember the exact words, but it was basically, God hates divorce. Now, listen, I'm not trying to get, get into a big argument about divorce and a theological discussion about divorce and remarriage and all that. That's not where I'm going tonight. But what I thought to myself is, of all the Bible verses and of all the thoughts that are in 66 books, 1,189 chapters, th that's the one you landed on. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure that that's, that's really like helping the cause here. Now, now, again, I'm trying to be kind. I at least appreciate the guy's zeal. I, I mean, I'm at least going to give him some credit because let's be honest, most of us in this room, I mean, you wouldn't catch any of us out on a, on a street corner with a megaphone even whispering, Jesus saves. <laughs> we want, want, want to be pure like we're weirdos or fanatics or we've lost our mind. And so I at least give the guy some credit for being zealous and, 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 and passionate about something and going out and doing something. But I'm simply saying, in my opinion, and that's my opinion, and I think some of you share this, I, I think that his zeal is lacking a little wisdom there. Because I can think of a lot better verses to use, and I can think of a lot better ways to communicate the truth of those verses than what he's doing. And I, I'm just saying, we have to be careful to recognize that without wisdom, our zeal can be very dangerous. I'd also like to say to you that 
Zeal mixed with insensitivity can be very cruel. You know, sometimes in our, in our passion for what is right, and we talked about this in the life of John last week, sometimes in our passion for what is right, we might say or do things that come across very cruel and harsh. We must be careful about that. And so Jesus warns us. So I want you to see thirdly tonight, zeal when channeled is productive. See, see, zeal is not just speech, and it's not just emotion, it's not just sentiment. It, it's found in its action. There is a place in spiritual leadership for people like James who have thunderous personalities. And by the way, let me just help some of you. Some of you that don't have the personality of a James, and you look at people like James, and you want to say that, you know, hey, cool it, Zippy. I mean, what's your deal? Because you're not wired that way? Understand that in God's economy, there is a place for people that have that kind of personality. And I'll give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Right here in this text, they said, like Elijah, let us do that. You know what he's talking about there. If you remember, the king went after Elijah and meant to do him harm. That's why he sent, uh, uh, why he sent an army of 50 men with him. And Elijah's sitting up on a, on a hill in plain sight, mind you. He was not intimidated. And he sat up there and they said, Hey, buddy, come down here. The king wants to talk to you. And he said, Well, I'll tell you what. I'm God's man, and so fire's going to come out of heaven and burn you all up. And, and it did. And apparently somebody was watching this and went and turned to the king. And the king said, I'm to get 50 men back down there and get this guy. Same thing happens again. Boy, that third company that came up, I could see him walking up like that. Like, hey, 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 take it easy. I'm not telling you anything. I'm just doing my job. Would you pretty, pretty please come down and come talk to the king? Elijah said, I bet I will. You know, it's just, you say, why, why is he wound so tight? Because some people are wound that way. And let me ask you, church, did God use Elijah or did God not use Elijah? Oh, He used him in a great way. Great way. Man, I, I, you could question, and we're not going to get into that night. You can do your own study on it. I've got some opinions of my own. But Abishai was one of David's mightiest of the mighties. And I love the spirit of Abishai. If you remember one time, David was coming through town and a man named Shimei was up there kicking up dust and throwing rocks and, and cursing David. And, and Abishai said to David, he said, David, don't let him talk to you like that. And literally he said, let me go up there and I quote scripture and take off his head. And if you know anything about Abishai, he would have done it. He killed one of Goliath's brothers for David. He killed 300 men for David. This was a bad dude, man. And he said, you ain't going to talk to my friend and my king like that. I'll take your head off. Just, you just, I, I, I could, I wish I was there. You just tell me, David. You tell me. I'll go get him right now. You tell me. Come on now. You tell me. I'll go get him. David said, hey, hey, hey. It's all good. Let him talk. I like Abishai. If those characters aren't good enough for you, how about the Lord Jesus Himself? We get this idea that Jesus is some pacifist. 
It's some long, plus-haired hippie walking through town, spreading peace, love, and joy to everybody, playing a ukulele in the tulips. Oh, no, no, friend. He made a whip. He walked into the temple one day, kicking over tables, kicking them over, cracking that whip, hitting some people. And, and, and this is what they said. Man, that reminds me of that Bible verse. The zeal, of, the zeal for the house of the Lord has eaten him up and consumed him up. They were thinking, what got over him? Passion for the Lord. What I'm trying to tell you tonight is it's zeal that moves people to action. Study your Bible. It's zeal that would cause a man to walk in and face the mightiest politician and commander of his day with nothing but a stick. Say, who are you talking about? Moses walked right in the presence of Pharaoh. Let my people go. Says who? Says the Lord Jehovah in this stick. <laughs> it's zeal that will attack the walls of Jericho with a bugle. It's zeal that will walk out into a valley and fight a giant with nothing but a sling and a rock. And it's zeal that'll charge hell with a water pistol. And I pray that God will give us all more of it. Let me ask you a question tonight. I'm coming in for a landing. What if every Christian decided to do something instead of just ignoring it all the time? I believe we live in a Christian gospel-influenced community. What if every public school student that professes to be a Christian showed up tomorrow at school with a Bible under their arm? You think that'd make a difference in this world? I think it would. I wonder if in our community, everybody who says they're a Christian would tell every one of their coaches, we don't play and practice on Wednesday night. I wonder how that would change our community. I wonder if every, every person here in this room would decide to win somebody to Jesus Christ the next year. Now, I know we can get real pharisaical and say, well, you know, preacher, it's the Lord that gives the increase. Yeah, I know that verse. But if every one of us would try and win somebody to Christ and the Lord would allow us to do it, you think that would make a difference in our church? I think it would. What if every Christian in this room read their Bible through this year and prayed a minimum of five minutes a day? You think that would change things? I sure think it would. I think we maybe need to heed the words of Jesus. You say, what words? Remember Revelation chapter 3? Revelation chapter 3 is one of the series of letters that were written to seven literal local churches. One of them is infamous. It's called the Church of Laodicea. God had a message for them. He said, you know, i got a real problem with you guys. The reason I have a problem with you is you're lukewarm. You have no passion. He said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. You, 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 literally, you make me sick. And here's what he says in, in Revelation chapter 3. He, he literally says this. He says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. I wonder if that's what the Lord's saying to us tonight. Hey, where's your passion? 
You're passionate about all kinds of things. Where's your passion for me? Where's your passion for, for my things, for my mission, for my glory? Where, where is it? I wonder if the Lord is saying to us, be zealous, therefore, and repent. There was an old uh, evangelist, and he was a fiery preacher. One time he said this, he said, you know, I just set myself on fire, and people come to watch me burn. Man, I think when you have a zeal that's channeled in the right direction like that, think of all the good that can be done. And I wonder if we would do more good in our life and our ministry if we were more passionate about God and His things. Let me ask you a few questions tonight. Question number one is this. What, what is it that you are passionate about? Sports, your kids, food. What what is it you're passionate about? I hope you're passionate about God. If I were to ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being weak, 10 being the best, how's your passion for the Lord Jesus? You know, I bet most people in here would say, I'm probably about a 6. You know what a five or a six is? That's lukewarm. How passionate are we? Number two, how are you learning to temper your zeal with wisdom? Hey, let's be fair. For James, it was a growing process. And so let's be patient with people who are all fired up and don't don't know a whole lot. Let's look at teenagers and... Man, I'd much rather have a a group of teenagers all fired up and you had to say, hey, take it easy, than like, why can't we get these guys to do anything? Let's let's just make a pact in here tonight. Let's not not pour cold water on people's zeal. The world will do that. There's plenty of other factors that will do that. It ought not come from us. Number three. What actions are in your life that would demonstrate a godly zeal? What actions are in your life that say, hey, man, my passion is the Lord. Well, you want to get me fired up? Just start talking about the Bible. Start talking about Jesus. Start talking about the gospel. Man, I get me fired up. So does our life demonstrate that? 